On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen? All right. One of the most fun things I get to do as a pastor in this church, by the way, if you're visiting with us, I'm, I'm Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are excited that you're here. I'm going to open God's word to us in the book of Philippians. Um, if you uh, want to find your way there. But before we get into that, uh, I've got to do something else that's pretty exciting. And that is welcome a new member. So, Pam Tucker, if you would come up, come on down, as the game show host says, right? Uh, come on down and join me up here. Um, membership is one of the um, <clears throat> one of the important things that we do here at Chillicothe Bible Church. Uh, membership defines who is uh, at the center of the team here. There's we can't accomplish the ministry that we do here at this at this church without. Uh, the help of a whole lot of people. And being a member is one of the ways in which we uh, are able to offer a deep community and accountability and opportunities for ministry. And so Pam has decided she would like to join with us and be part of the center of the team. And we're excited about that. Uh, the elders and I have gone through the examination process with her. We are confident that she is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, she's willing to place her life under the accountability of the elders in the church. And so we're excited to welcome her, her here this morning. As part of our uh, tradition of welcoming new members, we have some vows that we ask everyone to say publicly. And this is kind of like your wedding uh, in terms of the seriousness of these vows. And the answers are similar. It's I, or in some cases, we do, right? Uh, so, first of all, Pam, I have some questions for you. If you'd step up to the microphone so everybody can hear you. All right. We'll put the mic up here. All right. Uh, first of all, Pam, do you profess faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and do you desire, above all else, to live for him? Yes, I do. Do you declare your intention to live in submission to the doctrine of the church as expressed in our statement of faith? Yes, I do. You promise to support this congregation with your prayers? with your faithful attendance at its services, by your encouragement of our members, the willing use of your talents in its ministry, and the giving of your means as God prospers you. Yes, I do. Then, Pam, I have a few charges I'd like to read to you from the scriptures. Okay. Matthew five sixteen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Pam, uh, this dear lady who has decided through the leading of your Holy Spirit and the reading of your word to commit herself to a local body of believers for community and accountability and relationships and ministry and love. And Father, we thank you and give you honor for her. And Father, we pray that, that through Pam's life, uh, you would prosper her ministry here, that you would bless her in every way, and that the church of Jesus Christ would be built up uh, through her participation and membership in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Pam. Thank you. 
you are now an official member of Chillicothe Bible Church, all right? If anybody uh, sitting out there this morning thinks, man, I, you know, I need to get around to that, uh, let me know that, and or let one of the elders know that, and we'll be happy to meet with you and uh, talk with you about our process. In fact, I think I have a meeting today uh, to do that with someone else. So um, be happy to do that with any of you that are interested in, in that. Um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to bridge over uh, from chapter 3, uh, verse 12, all the way to uh, chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to cover, cover a lot of ground today. And this, this, uh, this passage is uh, one that I have titled, Finishing Strong. You know, if you, if you watch races... You know, whether it's the Olympics or maybe you watch the Boston Marathon or whatever on TV, uh, what people remember is how you finished, not how you ran, right? You might have the goofiest-looking gait as you go down the the road and, you know, where you look like a jackrabbit kind of going up and down as you, uh, as you run. Like Karen and I saw a guy doing that down Bradley Street the other day. Um, he's running. I'm not running. Um, <laughs> okay, I gave up running for Lent about 10 years ago, but uh, <laughs> and haven't missed it. In any case, um, you, you know, uh, they remember how you finished, not how you ran, right? Uh, and if you look at the scriptures, or even if you look at life, you know that a lot of people did not finish well, right? You look at maybe Gideon, and Gideon always gets remembered, in fact, there's even... I think there might even be a Veggie Tales cartoon with Gideon. Um, maybe not. I don't know. They they run together after a while. But uh, in any case, Gideon is this great hero of the faith, right? He takes his three hundred guys because his original army of ten thousand was too big, and he gets down to three hundred guys, and they go out with a very innovative battle strategy. They've got trumpets, and they've got clay pots, and they've got torches, and they surround the camp around the hills. And at, this, at a specific moment, they smash the pots, the torches are lit, and they blow the trumpets, and they go, for the Lord and for Gideon. And everybody in the camp down below is thrown into confusion. They start killing one another in the dark, and Israel has this great victory, right? And, and when you read Hebrews 11, that's the part Gideon gets celebrated for, that he won this great victory with 300 guys against an army of 300,000. And then there's the end of Gideon's life, where he builds an idol and causes all of Israel to come and worship it. Not such a hot idea. Uh, that won't get you in Hebrews 11, helping, you, helping Israel become idolatrous, right? Then you've got David. David, the man after God's own heart. The man who fought the Lord's battles, who conquered the Philistines, who wrote a lot of the Psalms who is the model for a godly king. You read Kings and Chronicles, you see that either this one was like his father David or he was like his father so-and-so who was a wicked guy, right? David, the great model of, of godly kingship who starts out really good, the man after God's own heart. And then in the last part of his life, he decides, you know, I've fought enough battles. I think this year, this spring, 
I'm going to let Joab, the commander, go out to the battle, and I'm going to stay here. And then his glasses get steamy, watching uh, some, some gal that is his, his best friend's wife take a bath on the roof of her house. And as he's looking down at her from the roof of his palace, he says, go find out whose gal that is. He finds out it's his best friend's wife. And that should have been clue A, this is a bad idea. Instead, he sends for her, commits adultery, arranges to have her husband killed, cover up his crime. Eventually loses his kingdom and only regains it at the death of his son Absalom. Or consider Solomon, who built the temple, who wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, who was the wisest man who ever lived, and yet who he decided in his great wisdom that he would marry a thousand different women and build up his palace twice as big as the temple of God. To Even though God's word said, don't multiply wives, don't multiply wealth, don't make yourself great in the eyes of all the nations around you with your wealth. Solomon broke every one of those in the latter part of his life. His multitude of foreign wives led his heart astray. He built altars for Chemosh on the Mount of Olives, conducted child sacrifices there. The second half of his life did not go well. Somewhere along the way, a lot of us begin well, and the second half is not very good. And Paul is concerned, and as your pastor, I am concerned, that not only that I finish well, but that you finish well. That we finish strong. That the end of the race is not something in which we have been disqualified from competing and running well but that we finish all the way as strong as we started, right? In fact, the best races, when they conclude, the guys who are about to win, there's two of them pounded down the road or down the track, right? And every muscle in their body is taut, and the sinews in their neck, are, you can see them, and their head looks like they're about to, about to explode with the effort of finishing well. They are running the hardest they have ever run in their life, leaning and straining for that tape at the end of the race, not at the beginning. So I want to look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, down through chapter 4, verse 1. Follow along here as I read. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, 
and their glory is in, the, is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Paul starts off, verse 12, by saying that he doesn't consider himself to have obtained all of this or to have been made perfect. That's a reference back to the previous passage we looked at last week where he's talking about the glory of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Remember? Great passage, great stuff in there. And he says, look here, I don't want anybody to get confused. I don't want anybody to think that I have arrived. And I'm now telling you from my position on high how to get up to the height of which I have attained. That's not what he's saying. He wants them to be clear. He says, look here. Jesus Christ took a hold of me many years ago. But I haven't attained yet to everything I want to attain to in Christ. He says, the more that I grow up in Christ, the more I realize how far there is yet to go. Realize how truly far the journey is. And if you want to summarize it, you could say this. Paul is saying that knowing Christ is a pursuit, not a completed task. It's a pursuit. You don't get to the point in the Christian life where you finally arrive. And you say, you know, I have read all of God's word, I obey it all perfectly, and God has nothing left to teach me. <laughs> okay, if you think that, it's because you're an immature believer in Christ, not a mature one. Paul says it's a pursuit. It's never something, you know, if you're like me, I mean, maybe this is, I'm going to reveal myself to be a total pinhead here, okay? But if you're like me, you make your to-do list, and then when you get stuff done, you cross it off. And when you get enough stuff crossed off, you make a new list, right? Um, again, pinhead, I know. But um, in any case, um, you cross all this stuff off, right? And, and you can't put knowing Christ on your list and then just one day go, yep, did that. Cross that one off. Got that done. <laughs> okay. It's much more like... Um, it's much more like if you're a husband loving your wife or if you're a wife loving your husband. You ever get to the point where you get to cross that off your list? Not if they're still alive. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, maybe if they go to glory ahead of you, you get to check that one off. Okay. But if they're still alive and so are you, that's a continuing ongoing pursuit, right? And by the way, Jesus is still alive. He's not dead. He's still alive. And loving and knowing and obeying Christ works the same way. That as long as you're alive, and if you're a believer in Christ, you're eternally alive from this moment on. It's a pursuit that's never completed that always goes on. And there's always a little further to go. Because it, Jesus is infinite God. And so therefore you can never know him fully. Although you can be fully known at some point, right? 
Uh, and in case, any, in case anybody's like, okay, yeah, 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 I get the pro forma denial, all that. Okay, he gives you verse 13, and he says this. He says, he repeats it. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, be sure you understand. I, don't, I haven't got there yet, and I'm not going to get there. Knowing Christ is a pursuit. It's not a completed task. Uh, but Paul does say this. He says, look here. One thing I do, I forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. And that's, if you're keeping track there on your outline, on your bulletin, uh, you can fill in forget past glories and run for future reward. Forget past glories and run for future reward. You know, at some point, if you've had success at something, it's pretty easy to want to kind of sit back and enjoy it, right? I mean, if you're, if you're um, maybe a Super Bowl champion, kind of look back and go, you know, I've gotten to the point in my career where nobody can question whether or not I was a good football player. I've got the ring to prove it. Or maybe your, uh, your company is doing well, making record-breaking profits. And you go, man, this is great. I want to just savor this. Or maybe you've always had just a great marriage. And you go, wow, I'll tell you what, I have arrived. I am the perfect husband. And she is the perfect wife. And it's marvelous. And we'll just, just enjoy it, right? No. You have to keep working at it. Because I don't care if you are Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Dan Marino or Joe Montana or uh, Tony Romo or, you know, well, I should leave him off. Uh, great quarterbacks, though. Uh, even <laughs> uh, That was for you, Jerry. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> great quarterbacks keep working at it, right? They keep working at it. And I don't care if they do have a Super Bowl ring or three uh, or four. They keep working at it, right? In the corporate world, no one cares whether you made money yesterday. They want to know if you're going to make money tomorrow, right? And you've got to keep working at it. And you can't do like some guys do and say, honey, I told you I loved you on the day we got married. And if that changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Can't do that either. Why not? Because you have to keep straining for what lies ahead. Because the idea is, is that this is something you continue working on, right? Uh, and from a spiritual perspective, it works pretty much the same way. That in your Christian life and ministry, when you stop looking to the future, you stop growing in the present. You, kinda, you can't kind of shelve your Christian life and just say, well, you know... I, I had a great past, you know. When I was in college, man, I was the top campus crusader that there was. We had more people come to Christ through my uh, witnessing in their dorms than anybody else, right? Uh, you can't say, well, you know, I was a faithful Awana leader back when. I was teaching Sunday school back when. I was... Uh, reading my Bible and studying God's Word and sharing with my neighbors back when, okay? Uh, in some sense, Paul says to that, so what? 
what have you done for Jesus lately? <laughs> okay, to paraphrase an old song, right? Um, the fact is, is that, is that the Christian life is an ongoing relationship with God. And that if you're not presently growing, you are presently stagnating. If you're not advancing, you're retreating and going backwards. If you're not progressing, you're regressing in your relationship with God. And so Paul says, look, you can't just sit back and talk about the glory days of back when. You have to forget about what lies behind, even if it was great and good. And in a lot of cases, it was. You can't do what some guys do. You know, they get married and they... They, uh, you know, they were magnificent navigators or intervarsity fellows or Baptist Student Union or Campus Crusaders and whatever. They get married and then they, they turn around to the guys younger than them and go, uh, have fun, young man, I have to go weed eat. You know, you can't do that. Why? Because the Christian life is meant to be lived from the point of your rebirth in Christ all the way to your physical death. Faithful all the way to the end. You've got to run for future reward. And so Paul tells us, look, if you're looking for examples here, verse 15 and 16, he says, imitate the saintly, not the stagnant. Imitate the saintly, not the stagnant. He says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. In other words, if you're growing in Christ, this is how you ought to think. That Christianity is an ongoing pursuit of knowing Christ better and better and better and better and better. Better today than yesterday, better tomorrow than today. All the way until you run out of air. Imitate the saintly, not the, not the stagnant. You can't say, well, Christianity is for you young people to minister. It's for... You folks who uh, don't walk with a cane. It's for you folks who don't have to get out of bed three times at night. It's for people without kids. It's for people who aren't married yet. It's for people, anybody other than me, to have to pursue and serve and minister and grow. We are meant to pursue Christ all the way. And Paul says, you gotta for, in order to do that, you've got to forget about what lies behind and press on toward the future so that your glory days are whenever you happen to be living at the moment. Not whatever happened in the past. And Paul says, look here. you got to look for people who are doing this and imitate them and live up to what you've already attained so that uh, you, don't, you haven't stopped you know, most men do that uh, when, when they get to a certain age and they have ridden the fashion train up to then and then they get off. They say, this is as far as I'm going. And Paisley might have been in style in 1979. I'm still wearing it, okay? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And uh, women don't tend to do that as much. But guys, you know, I've had the same haircut for 35 years. I see no reason to change it, right? As long as I got hair, this is the one it's it, right? Um, seriously, okay? Um, and people do that sometimes with their Christian life. They go, this is as far as I'm going. I don't want to go any further with the Lord. And Paul says, no, live up to what you've already attained and use that not as the, not as the stopping point, but as the foundation for building further. 
live up to what you've already attained. And Paul, Paul gives us in the last section here instructions on how to do this. Uh, he talks about how do you live for the prize. You know, if you're an Olympic athlete, you are conducting your life every day on the basis of the fact that four years from now, the Olympics will occur, and I want to get the gold medal. I'm not, I'm not hoping to just qualify. I'm not hoping to, for the bronze. I want to get the gold. And so you're living your entire life with that in mind as a pursuit. And your sleep schedule and your diet and your job and everything you're doing is predicated on looking for the, for the future and the reward to come. And Paul says the same thing is to be true here. You've got to find, verse 17, a pattern to follow, right? If you, you want to be a world-class sprinter, you need to find somebody like a Carl Lewis or a Wilma Rudolph or uh, Florence Griffith Joyner or whoever to, to be your coach and to show you, how you, this is how you do it. You've got to find a Usain Bolt to go, this is how you win the sprints. And beat everybody else and make it look easy. <laughs> okay? You, if you want to be a world-class quarterback, then you look up Peyton Manning. Or you look up Tom Brady. Or you look up Joe Montana and say, look, dude, take some aspirin. Let's go out here. And, uh, you know, show me how to throw for 450 yards per game. Show me how to read a defense. So that when the guys are lining up against me, I can call an audible and mess them up and we can make a touchdown. You want somebody who knows how to do it, in other words, right? And Paul says, look, when I went out to plant churches, I gave you not only right doctrine, but I gave you a pattern of life. Verse 17. Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. I gave you a pattern for life. Go follow the pattern that you were given. Look for people who are doing that and follow them, just like you follow me. Um, and then he says, look here, but, for I have often told you before, and now say again even with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, you not only got to look for good models, you got to avoid the bad ones. And beware the enemies of the cross. And he is not talking, by the way, about people who are just unbelievers. That is not Paul's normal term for, term for somebody who is just simply an unbeliever, who doesn't know Christ, who has no awareness of what he has done for them. They're not an enemy of Christ. They're just an unbeliever, just someone who doesn't know Jesus. These enemies of Christ are people who claim to know Jesus, who claim to have a rebirth, and yet who live in total variance from their profession of faith. They say, yes, I know Jesus, but when you look at their life, it doesn't line up. Really? You know Jesus? Are you sure? And he calls them not unbelievers, because they are unbelievers, we're going to find out, you know, how we know here, verse uh, 19, when he says their destiny is destruction. Is that the destiny of a believer? No. 
there are unbelievers, but they're a special case of unbelievers. They're people who claim to know Jesus and yet live in opposition to him. They're enemies of the cross. He says, look here, how do you distinguish these people? Because he wants them to be careful, to beware of these people. How do you distinguish them? He says, first of all, not only is their destiny destruction, in other words, they're unbelievers, but their God is their stomach. In other words, he doesn't mean literally that they have like built an altar to their to the organ in their in their belly, okay? He means that their drives, their glands, their the organs of their flesh are all that is the highest and and best motivation they can come up with. If you wanted to bring it up into our context, you'd say these are the people who would say Yes, I believe in Christ, but if it feels good, I'm going to do it. Their God is their belly, their stomach. And he says on top of that, that um, their glory is their shame. In other words, they're not just people who are immoral or sinful. They They are proud of the fact. And they try and make it sound spiritual. Uh, they are libertines. They have a mind that is focused, Paul says, on earthly things. They are the kind of people, in other words, who use their ministry as a way to satisfy their lust. And are those kind of people still around today? Yeah, there are. They are. They're still around. There are still people who view... Uh, God's people and the ministry as a way of attaining wealth and prominence and creature comforts, okay? Now, is there anything wrong necessarily with with making sure a pastor is well financially supported? No, there is not, okay? <laughs> All right? And by the way, thank you. <laughs> All right? <laughs> um. But there is a difference between taking care of someone's legitimate needs and, and enabling them to fleece the sheep of God. And Paul says the reason they're doing that is because for them, that's the entire goal. I know, I know of a guy that I think went to federal prison over this, uh, but down in Dallas... He was running a very large ministry, um, and one of the things that he would do would be to send the support checks to, or the, the support let, uh, requests, anyway, to, uh, to a whole bunch of older widow ladies on the same day that Social Security checks came out. He would time it so that they would arrive in the mail at the same time because one of his great sources of support was poor widow ladies who had no other means of support themselves. He would try to take advantage of these four women for his own benefit and glory. You know, these gals are living on fixed incomes in a little apartment, and he's living in a multi-million dollar home wearing a Rolex and a $2,000 suit. But let's make sure we send out the letters on the right day so that we get the support we need. Right? Are those kind of people out there? Yes, they are. Paul says, beware of those guys. 
and those gals. They're enemies of the cross. Uh, and then he also says, look here. And by the way, this, let me just say this, okay? Um, when Paul does this, he denounces these guys, but look how he does. He says, I say this with tears. In other words, even as he says this, he has compassion on these people. And in that, I think there's a great balance because Paul, on the one hand, has the courage of being willing to denounce what is evil and wrong. And on the other, he does so with great compassion. And we need to have compassion enough on these people to realize that they are deluded and sinful and destined for hell and to be, and to be in tears over that. And on the other, to have enough courage to denounce what is really evil. Paul does both. And on top of that, he says, if you're going to live successfully in light of the gospel all the way to the end of your life, then you need to be looking not just for good examples, not just be looking out for bad examples, but to be looking for the Savior. He says, we await a Savior. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we await a Savior from there, Jesus Christ, the Lord, right? And you're to live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. One of the rock-solid beliefs of the Christian faith is that, that Jesus is not just the Savior who was crucified and dead and buried and rose, but that he is coming back for you and me. Amen? Amen. He is coming back for us. And he says that we are to be looking for his return. That we are to be anticipating and speeding and living in light of the fact that Jesus might come back today. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I hope it is today. And if it's not today, I hope it's tomorrow. And if it's not tomorrow, I hope the day after. He says, live in light of the fact that Jesus is returning. And have all of your life and thinking and behavior molded and shaped and based on the fact that Jesus is coming back for you. And maybe today. I remember on the day that I proposed to Karen, I sent her on a scavenger hunt for me. And at the end of the scavenger hunt was me holding a diamond engagement ring. And so uh, I wrote all these little clues, places we had been on our first date there on campus. And she went all to all the places. She got out of her car and walked. I thought she'd be there in like five minutes, okay? It took her an hour. <laughs> and there I am standing. I thought, I th the longer I stood there, I thought, maybe she decided no. <laughs> what am I going to do with this ring, you know? Um, but... Uh, Anyway, finally she got to this little footbridge right there, and there I stand in the woods, and she walks up, and I have been speeding and looking for and anticipating her coming, right? And my whole life has been shaped by the arrival of the bride coming, right? And in the same way, we are to be looking for the groom. If we as the church are the bride of Christ... Not individually, but collectively, the bride of Christ. We're to be looking for the groom to come. And when he comes, we will celebrate. 
But in the meantime, all of our life and decisions and thinking and behavior need to be shaped by the fact that Jesus is coming. And we don't know how long we've got until that day is going to be. Maybe we've got a long time. Maybe we've got a short time. But either way, Jesus is coming soon. And every day that he does not come is one day closer to him coming. And one of these days will be the day. And we're to live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming all the way to the end. And he says, this is how you stand firm to the end. How? By knowing that Jesus is coming. Imitate a good model, reject a bad one, and look for Jesus. And keep pursuing, keep chasing the knowledge and relationship and obeying and loving and serving God all the way to the end. Until you can't do it anymore. Or until you run out of air, whichever comes first, right? Until the trumpet blows or your heart stops beating, you're to pursue knowing Christ and serving him and loving him and obeying him. And as we come to a close here on this message, that's my personal challenge to you. That we don't give up. That we keep running. We keep running. We keep running. That we don't rest on our laurels on what on what good happened back when in our life. Well, back when I was this age, I went to the mission field. Back when I was this age, I used to do this. But now I've given up. I've done my bit. Every now and then you hear people say that. And nothing could, well, not nothing, but very few things could be more unbiblical than the statement, I've done my bit. To serve the Lord. Because as long as you are breathing, you are to serve the Lord with everything that is within you. Paul says, straining for the finish line anticipating it, looking for the day when either the trumpet blows or your lungs take their last breath. Straining for the finish line, running all the way in, running as hard as you can, as fast as you can, giving it as much as you can, all the way to the end. Keep running. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep breathing. Keep running. Keep running. I'm very proud of our church. We have so many people in this church serving in so many capacities, whether it's women's ministry or men's ministry or children's ministry or Awana or the worship team, or with our elders, or as deacons and deaconesses, or as sound people, or as uh, making sure that the operations guys, you know, make sure that the snow gets shoveled, the grass gets cut, the lights are on, the thermostat works. There are people serving in all kinds of ministry capacity. I am proud of our church. Here's Paul's encouragement to you. My brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. That is how you should stand firm in the faith. 
your friends. Keep doing it. Keep serving. Keep striving to grow in the knowledge of God and in your love and obedience and service to Him. Don't give up. Jesus is coming. Let's pray.